Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to read verse 11 through 18. It just kind of so happens that in our studies on Wednesday night, uh, this past Wednesday night, Jude called us to remember here. And in our text this morning, Paul will call us to remember. Starting in verse number 11, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at, time, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace." and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you, which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Let's pray. Lord, we come before your throne humbled and reminded of the words in these very verses that because of your work on Calvary, we have been brought nigh to you. But we're also reminded that us in this world, Gentiles, that there was a day and age that we stood without hope, that we were aliens, that we was in this world and had no promises to cling to, that without you, that there was no direction in this world. But as your word says here, in these few verses, though we were in that state, we lived in that state, and yet it seemed to be that we were completely satisfied in it. Our appetite in those days was to do evil, to do anything contrary to your law, filled with ungodly thoughts, arrogant and hostile to you, but in verse 13, in this condition, we were made nigh through the blood of Christ. God, what can we say when we read these verses, but thank you for sending your son. Thank you for what he did on Calvary, purchasing us from the slave house of sin. Lord, we love you. Lord, this morning, hide me behind the cross. Give me the words to speak. May this morning only your name be magnified. In Jesus' name, amen. August 6th, 1945, it was rumored that the United States of America had come up with a new type of weapon. It was rumored that the United States of America had come up with what they were calling an atomic bomb. 
It was said that it was a bomb in which the world had never seen before. For those who knew specifically about the bomb, they kind of deeper understood the power that rested in it. But when the world heard that the United States of America had developed this thing called an atomic bomb to them, it was just another bomb. I mean, we had already seen this. I mean, at the end of World War II, it was expected that the Allied forces had dropped some 3.4 million pounds of bombs upon Axis powers. But now they're drawing them to these new bombs, these atomic bombs. And on August 6, 1945, there were two atomic bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And within the blink of an eye, 229,000 people were killed. Whenever people try to understand and study atomic energy in the power that it has, one of the first things that they're sent to study is to understand the devastating power is they're sent to the history books about Hiroshima and Nagasaki to survey the damage, to gain understanding about the power. In verses 11 through 13, Paul is not finished explaining the exceeding greatness of God's power. But in order for you to understand the exceeding greatness of God's power, Paul must finish completing the survey in Ephesians chapter 2, bringing us to an understanding about just how great God's power is in our lives. In the first 10 verses, he explained that the exceeding greatness of God's power took you from a place where you were dead in trespasses and sins. He says that was your past. But God's power took you from that place you existed in the past and put you in a place that you now have hope in the present. But he says that we was quickened together with Christ. And not only did it give us this exceeding greatness of God's power, take us from the past to put us in the present, but it says in the first 10 verses that it promised us a future, that we would be trophies, so to say, in the ages to come of God's exceeding greatness and his power. But that's not enough. Paul says, lest you become complacent and fully understanding the exceeding greatness of God's power. Let me take you even further, just how much God poured out his power upon us. In verses 11, really, through 18, it brings us to the thought process of what it means to be unified in Christ. It brings us to this place of what it means to be unified in the church. He did more than save us. He unified us with enemies. He not only brought us to a place with peace with him, but he brought us to a place even with our mortal enemies, so to say. So Paul says, I'm ready to explain to more, more to you about how great God's power is in your life. You will never understand the greatness of God's power in your life 
until you first understand the obstacles in which the greatness of his power had to first overcome. So in the survey of chapter 2, 1 through 10 shows us that he created us to be a new creature. Verses 11 through 18 shows that we have been made a new race in Christ. When I was raised up, there was a statement that was kind of ingrained in us that was blood was thicker than water. It was said to rally us to the fact that we had each other's back no matter what the other person did, even if it was wrong. Ephesians chapter 2 says that might be acceptable as a lost person, but in Christ, when you arrive in Christ through his blood, we are all made new creatures. We are not reassemblies of the past life. We are made anew. In the statement that blood is thicker than water, it may be true unless it's baptismal water. Because when we are unified in Christ by faith and then baptism and brought into the church, this is a bond that is far beyond our understanding. This bond is greater than our uh, even the comprehension. And this is what Paul will lay out to the Ephesians here. Though to them it seems like it's maybe it's not an ageless truth that just applies to them. It's an ageless truth that applies through all future history, the exceeding greatness of God's power. So Paul brings them to this. He said, let me show you more. Let me show you more about God's great power. He said, wherefore remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcised by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. He says, wherefore, remember. What would, what would you have us to remember, Paul? Paul says, I want you to recollect. I want you to bring about in your mind. I want you to be mindful of this truth, that you were once living by nature, though now you stand in Grace. Even more, he says, this is imperative that you remember this. And by the way, I believe that this is the beginning of the fracture lines that we'll see eventually play out in Revelation. But he says, wherefore, remember, the Ephesians were beginning to forget. Notice what he says. He challenges them to remember where they were, not exactly who they were. He's not calling them to remind themselves of the specific sins that they once committed. He reminds them of who they were. They were Gentiles. They were outside of God's promises. Paul here is not talking to a nationality or even the country in which they lived but even more, he wants them to remember that they once faced obstacles, that they were outside of God's promises. He, he will go on to tell them that not you had a huge problem. Not only were you born dead in trespasses and sins, but he said it's even worse. You were born as a Gentile. 
In verse number 12, he says that there was a time as Gentile, we must understand this, even for us, the Gentile nations of times past, that there was a time in verse 12 said, as a Gentile, that ye were without Christ, that you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, you were strangers from the covenants of promise, you had no hope, and you were without God in the world. Not only were you dead, but you even had no access to be made alive. You were outside of God's promises. No matter how we like to cut it, this is the condition of the Gentile outside of Christ. We did not have the promises in which they had. Paul here wants them to remember Paul wants them to remember why. Because there is a grave danger when we do not remember the pit in which we were drawn from. Paul wants them to remember just exactly how lost they were. It was even more that you were dead in sins. You were outside of the covenant community of God. You were a far off. You were a ways off. There was no way that in the church at Ephesus, though it seems that they had arrived there, and by the time you make it to Revelation, you kind of even see it even more, that these people who were outside of the covenant community, those who were afar off, they had to become so prideful in their own lives that they had begun to forget the Lord. How do we see that? Well, we go on to see here in Revelation chapter to verse 5, we see the destructive course moving forward in the services. And when, by the time you make it to Revelation, God, the Lord charged them. He said, not only did you leave your first love, but remember what he said to them. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except... Thou repent. Nothing is more humbling than remembering. Paul says, remember. When we remember who we once were outside of Christ, it should bring us to a place of humility and it should bring us to a place of thankfulness. So he says, wherefore remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcised <clears throat> by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. So the problem one for the Gentile was the state of condition in sin. Problem two is that stood between the Ephesians and their membership in the church. This was the problem in their day. The Jews viewed themselves as it. They were everything. It was Jew and Gentile. By the way, they were not alone. Even the Greeks felt this way. It was the Greeks, and what else does our scriptures teach us? And they were the barbarians. They had such a high view of their own race. I mean, there was nothing but opposition between the two, between the Jew and Gentile. They were filled with hatred. They hated each other. 
many old writings uh, of the Jewish history said that it was illegal if you found a Gentile woman having birth, giving birth, it was illegal to give aid to her lest you bring another Gentile into the world. It was illegal to Jewish people to give aid to the Gentiles unless you help them in their survival. We must understand that this is an extreme opposition that existed in the world at their time. This is what Paul is bringing to their mind. Remember, you were a Gentile. You had no promises. You had no hope. You had no Redeemer. You had no Christ. You was a far off. This was your condition. And those who had a covenant community with God, remember where you stood with them. You hated each other. You hated each other and you were without hope. But now, he says, but now the exceeding greatness of God's power is manifested. How? Because not only did he save you in your sinful state, but through the exceeding greatness of God's power, these nations who hated each other all throughout history are now found in the same building on the bended knee together, worshiping God through Christ. He said, you are afar off, but you've made, been made nigh by the blood of Christ. What else is this besides the second testament of the exceeding greatness of God's power? Listen, when God saved me, it left me at opposition with enemies that I still had. But the testament stands that even more enemies can become the closest of friends in Christ. This is what it's saying here. I mean, we all know the story of Jonah. We talked about it this morning in Sunday school. This disobedient prophet who belong to the nation of Israel, who what? Hates Gentiles. A prophet for God who, guess what? Loves Gentiles. No, a prophet for God who, guess what? Hates Gentiles too. God calls him to go and preach the word of God to the Ninevites. And what do we find from Jonah? He says, not so, Lord. He goes and he takes the ship and he's headed to Joppa. He's anything to get away from there. And we know the story, swallowed by the whale, spit up on the shore. And after he spit up on the shore, he went and preached to Nineveh. Forty days and judgment was coming. God saved the Ninevites. And what do we find? Jonah's angry. He said, I knew that was the kind of God you were. I knew you was the kind of God that would save Gentile people. I knew it. But the rest of Israel was thankful that God saved Nineveh, right? Absolutely not. Matter of fact, these Jewish people had become masters of excluding people. If you weren't circumcised, you were excluded. Even Jonah, his history was really excluded. You know, it baffles me to think that this prophet called by God, could be so intertwined and ingrained with bitterness against the race that he would rather see an entire race and a whole entire city, millions, go to hell 
as opposed to see them involved in their covenant community. It's wicked. It's wicked. It's wicked then, and it's even wicked today. A gospel that excludes is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not God. Matter of fact, to preach a gospel that excludes shows your limited understanding of who God is. Now, understand this about Israel. Israel was chosen. They were God's chosen people. They were the recipient of revelation. They received the Old Testament. They received the Ten Commandments. Matter of fact, Israel received the priesthood. Through the priesthood, Israel was given access to God. Who men could then go to the priest and the priest could go to God on their behalf. God lived with Israel. And they were sent to be missionaries to the rest of the world. But they did not. They were set throughout history to be the example of all the, to all the Old Testament of what it means to have a relationship with God. What it's like to dwell with God. But yet they failed to be this. Now we know that when we arrive here and the church is instituted, we were given the great commission that was first handed off to Israel. But God still has his original promises that he gave to Israel. The Jews believed that they alone deserved salvation. I mean, really think about this. Really think about this situation. That the Jews believed that they alone deserved to enter into heaven. I mean, you really don't feel the grip of anger until you maybe look upon your child and put this imagery in your mind as you view the pits of hell. This Jewish person felt it was just fine to push your child in. That is how the anger and hatred was for this Gentile nation. I mean, what a great story of revival anyways for Jonah, right? I mean, Israel rejoiced. No, Israel didn't rejoice. Matter of fact, when we get into the New Testament, we kind of get a better understanding just how Israel felt about this great revival that happened that Jonah went and preached. When you get to John chapter 7 and verse 52, when the scribes and Pharisees were talking to the Lord, and they said, and they answered and said unto them, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look out of Galilee. Ariseth no prophet. They said, Search the records. We've never had a prophet come out of Galilee. That's a lie. Jonah came from Galilee. But what was the deal? Because Jonah had went and preached this revival. To the Gentile nations, Jonah had been struck from the record book. Arise if no, prophet, go ahead and search and see. You're never going to find anybody sent from God to a pagan people, period. These Jews had become so self-consumed that they would not only be willing to send Gentiles to hell, but they would even be willing to exclude a prophet that was sent from God just to say that the salvation that they had was not offered to Gentiles. I mean, this hatred is far beyond. We really, at times, give it time to explain. 
They wiped him out of the books. Old Testament and New Testament, like, and it continued this way. They had no desire to have a record where God would send a prophet to the Gentiles. And then finally what happened? God said, I will make this right. I will put this on public display. Because what happened on the day of Pentecost? 3,000 souls were saved. Everyone heard in their own language. God did this mighty work. Jew and Gentile and other nations were brought together alike in Christ. They were made nigh by the blood of Christ. So Paul says to them, remember this. Remember that there was truly a time where you were without hope. Remember that there truly was a time where there was no promises that was given to your nation. Yet, now see how fortunate you are that you've been made nigh by the blood of Christ. This isn't a time to make yourself haughty. This isn't a time to lift yourself up. This is a time to remember how gracious and how thankful you should be to God. But Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5 says they continued on in this manner and lifted themselves up and had left their first love. So what is Paul's caution to us all? Paul's caution here in these verses 11 through 13 is to remind yourselves daily just who you were. Before we step out of our house and begin to look down upon other people about what they failed to do, whether in the faith or out of the faith, remind yourself of who you once were. Not only was you once dead in trespasses and sins, but there was a time when you was even outside of the covenant community without hope. But God. And even for today, there are people who still stand in this situation. They are outside of the covenant community. They're dead in trespasses and sins. But there's a difference now. They are not without hope. This is what we've been called to do, to preach the word of God. He says, remember, wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, you were out and now you're in. But in fact, they didn't even have the mark. He said, remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision. This was a derogatory term. Uh, this was a complimentary. I mean, even think back to the Old Testament. We love the story of David. When David arrived there on the scene and Goliath came, what did David say after he heard Goliath speak? He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Paul brings to our mind that he, he said, remember when you guys were called the same thing that Goliath was called? Remember when you had the same name? Remember when you were once without and you defied God? Remember when you had that name? Remember when the circumcision once called you uncircumcision? Remember when that was, uh, remember when you was viewed that way? The Jews had taken this matter of the flesh further than we can understand, but they had made this sign of the flesh a matter of a sign of the spirit, which is not so. But even without this, even without circumcision, 
even without being circumcised. Paul said, you were made nigh by the blood of Christ. You wasn't forced to do these acts that the Jews once had. You wasn't forced to be circumcised to become a member of the church. You were outside of the community, outside of the promises, and God, through Christ, brought you in even more. He says in verse 12, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. Remember when you had no hope of a Savior, he said? Remember when your future, could you, I mean, you had no hope of a Savior. Your future was nothing. Your purpose was nothing. Your deliverer was no one. They only guarantee that the Gentiles once had was the guarantee of God's judgment. Although God had them in his eternal sovereign plan to be united with Christ through faith, through faith they had no such relationship. He said, being alienated. The Gentiles were spiritually alienated because they were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. They had no promises. All of the promises belonged to them. I cannot enjoy the freedoms of Switzerland because I don't live there. I'm not a member there. And neither could the Gentile enjoy the promises of the Jew because they were alienated. They were without. They did not have access to this God. And so these Gentiles had no promises. He gave that nation his special blessing, his protection, his love. He, he gave them covenants. He said even more to these Ephesians, you were strangers to the covenants of promise. Well, this is Paul. This wasn't just a singular covenant. He said you were strangers to the covenants that belonged to them of the promise. Remember what God promised Abraham? He said, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And so ye shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. But even more, he says, if that's not tragic enough, to be a Gentile, he says there in that verse, Having no hope. Having no hope. Nothing. They say that hope is one of the strongest things that can cause a person to push on. I can't tell you how many different times I've read little survival stories that people believed they had hope and it pushed them on. It drove them. As a matter of fact, I can't remember what year it was, like the 88 or 89 uh, U.S. hockey team. They, they won and what they kept saying, we just hoped. We had hope. We believed. Paul said, you had no hope at all. Having no hope. There was no hope in us at all. They were, he says, you had no hope, and he closes verse 12 saying, and without God in the world. They weren't intellectual atheists. We know we've studied uh, the church at Ephesus there when we did uh, the study on the churches in Revelation. They were poly 
polytheism. There were many temples there. They worshipped many gods, false gods. They worshipped in many different places there in Ephesus. But Paul says they were without God in the world. They were living without the true God. He said, that's just how devastating it was to be a Gentile, whether we like it or not. That's exactly what our condition was. But, but verse 13 says, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. But now, but now by the exceeding greatness of God's power, you, you, you who were estranged, exiled, without hope, without God, without promise, without anything, you've been made nigh by the blood of Christ. This is great news, especially for us, because we're Gentiles too. We have been made nigh. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection made it possible for Gentiles to worship God without restriction. Even more in verse 14, it says, For he is our peace, who hath made one, both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. The, the, the veil was tore, yeah. But notice what it says here. The middle wall of partition. Now, in the Old Testament, we know that there was different times where God saved Gentile people. We've seen that even with Nineveh. But even in this state, the Gentile people could not go the same distance in the temple, in the tabernacle, as a Jew could. There was a middle wall of partition. Matter of fact, I don't want to say that the view of women in Jewish culture was derogatory, but it wasn't exactly uplifting. And yet, a Jewish woman could go further into the tabernacle, into the temple, to worship than a Gentile could. There was a wall of partition. Not only was there the veil there that kept you from entering into the holies of holies and seeking God, but for the Gentile, there was another wall of partition that kept them out even further. And he says here, For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. God, through Christ, through his blood, has brought us nigh, not only to the place where if it would have been just the inner veil, the Jew would have had access to God. But Paul says that's not all that was broken down. The middle wall of partition, that's which divided me from being able to worship with the Jew, that's been torn down too. We both now have access to God through Jesus Christ. Well, this is the greatest news ever, that the veil is gone. There's no longer need for a priest. We have our great high priest. There's no longer a partition. No one has more access to God than you do. We all have the same. 
There's no need for a great high priest. The temple is over. The sacrifices is over. Do you see this? What Paul is trying to construct in their mind in verses 11 through 13, the obstacles that Christ overcame, the, the exceeding greatness of God's power that not only did it change your heart, but it made enemies friends. This is amazing. Thousands of years of hatred and war and violence has been made one race in Christ. This theories that's going about today, this critical race theory and all of these different things that's plaguing our nation today. Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, there is only one race, those who are in Christ and those who are outside of Christ. In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. He said there, what does he say in verse 14? For he is our peace who hath made both one, both Jew and Gentile. We are now one in Christ. Never forget where we were. Never forget where we were as Gentiles. We were afar off. We were not even close. We had no powers, but or no promises, but the exceeding greatness of God's power. The exceeding of greatness of God's power made us nigh to God by the blood of Christ. Even more, he's not finished yet. There's more to come about what it actually means to be unified in Christ. It's amazing that they say that the uh, worship day is the most, I don't know if you want to call it compartmentalized or segregated day of the week. Yet, that is the exact opposite of what Christ teaches. They say, well, we, we, we must honor our culture. Well, your culture is found in a new race. What's that new race in Christ? What culture do I have? What culture do I look to in the old life? We are new creatures in Christ. What do I have from the old life that I would like to introduce to my new living? Nothing. We were dead. We were separated. We were afar off. We were without hope. But by the blood of Christ. Oh, man. We were made nigh unto God. What a wonderful thought. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I give thanks to you for all that you've done, Lord. I pray that you'll help us as we continue to work through um, Ephesians, Lord, not to exhaust ourselves, but to, to grasp a, a better understanding of the truths of your word. That we'll get a deeper understanding of just where we were. We were not only lost, but we were separated. But God, Lord, we give thanks to you for all that you've done. Be with us here this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. And number three.